0: I'm saying if you don't take the time to teach these kids to re-socialize, learning loss is gonna be the least of your problems because learning loss will amplify in socialized situations.
1: You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is
0: also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. We have
1: to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We
0: have the big ticks that are totally going to push their thinking. I have a a kind of serendipitous route to education, started out as a psychologist and uh, developed a company where we did outpatient services, helping folks transition into the community and through time ended up working with kids and then through more time ended up actually starting a a school for alternative behavior students.
1: That's Jay Burcham, the founder of Leaps for Schools. LEAPS is a single solution providing social emotional learning, classroom management, and mental health. It integrates with your current MTSS, RTI, and PBIS systems with research-based methodologies, and its results are proven. This is a solution that was born out of Jay's own story, and it sounds almost too good to be true, which is why we wanted to learn more. Jay took us back to the very beginning. He's a southern storyteller, so get comfortable
0: we began in working with folks that were mentally ill and and that was adults and what we were seeing were so many adults that were not medically involved with their diagnosis in other words it was not a physiological cause it was a learned cause that we were seeing behaviors that were keeping them from full functionality as adults and so because of that we began in Texas, the MHMR setting. The children's services was on the same wing. So we began talking to them, saying if we could stop some of the behaviors in childhood, we wouldn't be dealing with so many adults that were not medically involved. And through that we began actually with doing some summer programs, after school programs, and then was asked to open a school itself that did the school work set alongside uh, the the social and emotional development. And so We began working on, you know, helping kids normalize behaviors and saw great results. And in in Texas, to work with kids through this MHMR setting, they had to be part of the priority population, which means that they were at risk. And part of that definition was at risk of loss of residential placement, which meant all of our adjudicated kids. All the kids on probation and parole were were eligible for these services, and that's the group we began working with. So this was the more difficult of the students up front, but we began to see real success. They were showing up to school more. They were making better grades. We kept saying, if you teach a kid how to sit in a classroom and get along with the teacher, they're going to make better grades. You know, those little incremental steps. Yeah. And because of that, we actually took that experience and began putting product together in place of the service because the, the people we were really making the difference with were the teachers. It wasn't the psychiatrists and the counselors. It was our teachers. And that's what led us see that the replicability was actually possible.
1: There's such a focus right now on social-emotional learning in education, which is is fabulous that we're finally attending to that a little bit more intentionally than we have in years past. And I know that LEAPS is so much more than social-emotional learning. Is there any way you can kind of nutshell um, for our listeners? Sure. And first,
0: let, let's start with SEL or social-emotional learning. And 20 years ago, we measured intelligence primarily through the intellectual capacity of a, of a child. So we would look at their capacity for recollection, uh, problem solving, and all that good stuff. And we would measure intelligence about 90% on the intelligent capacity, 10% on social quotient. Well, we realized today it's actually a 50-50 match. You, you need to have that social capacity for the integration of intelligence in order to actually have a fully... Uh, intellectualized uh, person. So SEL in its true definition should be pretty encompassing of a child, a student, a preteen, adolescent on into young adulthood's ability to manifest information, take that information and use it for societal benefit in a way that's socially acceptable. If you think about that, that's what mental health is. It's the natural maturation of a student and maturing those up that are lagging and then being able to differentiate those who have true medical concomitancy with those who are in a learned deficit for behaviors.
1: Jay talks often about the importance of students' experiential knowledge base, meaning learned behaviors based on experience.
0: That's those experiences that you have participated in. You can be the primary participant or you can be a secondary participant and, for example, watched your parents interact in those situations. But you learn how to act in those situations. You have a hot-headed parent and you've seen them just fly off that. Your response may be to fly off the handle because that's what you've seen. Uh, or if you have been in that situation, you've flown off the handle and you've gotten... Dressed down, pretty good for it. Well, now you've learned from it, so now then you're not going to be so apt to do that.
1: In teacher terms, it's kind of what we call modeling. That we just have to provide that modeling for kids. Well, um,
0: it, it, it's the modeling, but it's taking for granted that, or not taking for granted that anything has been modeled already. Right. And that's the big differentiator is we make an assumption that kids have been exposed to the common sense behaviors that we expect. That's where we really run into trouble because a lot of them haven't. When you have a classroom, you actually have a body that's interacting as a whole. And so when you have a deficit in one or two through that experiential knowledge base, it can actually affect the whole. That's why you hear teachers say, I'm spending 85% of my time on 15% of my students. It's taking for granted that that modeling has occurred and that it's been appropriate modeling. Yeah, Because remember, it could be bad modeling, which is then even worse than the lack of modeling, because then you've got to actually pull it back and reteach.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And it's true across the board, academically and emotionally and socially. So talk to teachers who are listening about how this actually looks in the school day.
0: Well, I think first we have to acknowledge teachers are incredibly busy people, actually sit over uh, a system that has multiple schools, and I've been able to witness how busy they truly are to actually set time aside to deal with whether it's social, emotional, behavioral issues. It's time that you're not then spending on the core issues, and so that becomes difficult. But if you back up and think about it, the time that you spend in intervention, if you spent that in preventative time, You could cut the intervention down. It's the ability to look at a situation such as a classroom and understand a a business term, ROI, which is return on investment, that if I invest in prevention time, I can cut my intervening time down throughout the year. And that's really hard when you're in the thick of the battle. Uh, If I can give you a quick example, and this will demonstrate, for example, in Leaps, where there's a lesson on dealing with an angry person. Well, the way that a teacher's instructed to do that is to walk into the room and slam a textbook down on the desk, tell her to sit down and be quiet. We're getting started and do it in a way that just shocks the kids and then stop and say, what did you just witness? You're angry. okay, uh, I'm angry. So how, how do we deal with that? What's going on? Well, you've caught them now. You've caught their attention. You're teaching them a lesson. And and yet that instruction is one that kids will stop and listen to. And social context is incredibly important to a developing teen, a developing pre-adolescent. You can actually pull the kids into a social lesson that would not participate in an academic lesson. But by pulling them into that social lesson, you have opened the door for the academic lesson to now. We were not going to capture these kids with mathematics. These were adjudicated kids. They are you know, planning on dropping out as soon as they could. Uh, they had no uh, thought of being in the classroom, but as we taught them how to make a friend in the classroom, get along with the teacher in the classroom, give a little respect in order to receive respect, kind of those basic communal instructions, all of a sudden they're there. And as long as they're there, they're paying attention. And while they're learning these lessons that were are giving immediacy of impact socially and emotionally, well, let's now use this secondarily for math. And all of a sudden, we saw our math grades going up because we were instructing in interacting with these kids where their needs were. It comes down to a teacher being able to look at their day and realize that the teaching of these skills will help make the teaching of the core instruction more doable and, in fact, could even be intertwined. And that's what we tried to do with LEAPS is make it something that could be an, a part that integrates into the day itself.
1: Yeah. So, say, in a secondary school where kids are going from class to class to class, would pretty much every content teacher sprinkle a little bit of this into? their lesson for the day? Or would this be something that would be its own content area?
0: There will be those classrooms where you sprinkle a little bit in, just reminding the kids. But you're also going to have those groups where you're going to need to spend more time with, whether it's your at-risk kids, your kids who are just moving slower through the pathway uh, of maturation, where you actually need to set aside time to actually teach lessons. Go in and fully teach a lesson for its application so it's a, it's a combination of the two can i go ahead and go forward and explain that combination yeah please think about our educational system it is set up on a very linear pathway you know first graders move to second grade to third grade to fourth grade and each one of those progressions of grades comes with an expectation of a higher level of independence And that means doing more on your own, for example, around the Piagetian model, which says kids will develop to the point of conflict, overcome those conflicts and move beyond them. But those points of conflict cover years. It's not unusual for a ninth grader to have a maturity level of a seventh grader. And yet our educational system says a ninth grader should have all these set qualities, be able to go class to class, room to room, building to building, all of these things. That's what a ninth grader is supposed to do. And yet the very models of education that we build on say, maybe, maybe not. And so what you end up with are kids that are behind the expected level. And so when we say we're not leaving kids behind, no, we actually do intentionally by saying that every, you know, 15 year old should be ready to be a sophomore in high school and do all of these things where in actuality, it's not unusual for a 15 year old to have the maturity level of a 13 year old. And, And so what about the kids on the upper end of the spectrum and lower? When we slow down for the lower, we leave the upper behind and they get bored. When we accelerate to the upper, we leave the lower behind. So what do we do? We stay in the fuzzy middle and say, good luck on the ends. How do you stay engaged with the kids at the upper level while at the same time engaging the kids at the lower level, not to cure them? Because remember, we're saying it's normal to mature them, help them mature to the rate of acceptability in the classroom if you spend a little time teaching your kids how to be a member of that classroom society, which it is. Mm -hmm. A classroom is a microcosm of an authoritarian model of society. How to be a participating member, it will pay off throughout the year. The time you invest will then turn from ongoing intervention to front-loaded prevention, which then makes your classroom more successful for all the kids in the middle.
1: This differentiation of instruction for diverse learners and their very long list of needs has been reported for several years running as teachers number one challenge. Add to that the fact that with the focus on social emotional learning and diversity, equity, inclusion, many teachers are being asked to teach skills, content, and objectives that were never modeled in our own education and for which we haven't been trained.
0: This is an important point. When you have a 23-year-old teacher in the classroom and a 60-year-old teacher down the hall, you have one that has their authoritarian model down pat and another that is much more communal. Well, you realize that's not that one teacher's better or more right, but they're different. And we're telling the kids adjust to rules from this classroom to this classroom. Yeah, That's where, if you remember when we first started on realizing the true implications of behaviors in the classroom. And it had to be addressed. PBIS was the first one out there of all of our acronym soup of PBIS, RTI, MTSS, all this stuff. PBIS was first. Well, the first rule of PBIS common vernacular. Let's speak the same language. That was not the students. That's the teachers. It's the teachers. Yeah. It's say the same thing. So when the kid goes from Mrs. Jones to Mr. Randy's classrooms, They understand what you're saying because you're using the same terms. And then after you use the same terms, have the same consequences. Think about what we've talked about. You've got a kid who's a freshman in high school who has the maturity level of the 13-year-old. Now they have seven different classrooms to go to, and every one of them has a different rule set with different terms for it. And you want this kid to learn all that before they even start learning the basics of how to conjugate a verb.
1: So does LEAPS? help schools unify their culture in the ways that you're talking about to, to start unifying their language and their procedures and their expectations from teacher to teacher, because that's huge right there, but it's hard. It's hard because like you said, you've got these teachers that come from all different kinds of training and all different kinds of backgrounds and they're different ages. So they were, their teacher preparation was completely different.
0: Well, teacher preparation is different and then building together. You have the 60-year-old, 65-year-old baby boomer teaching next to the 25-year-old millennial who is teaching the 14-year-old Gen Z. Every one of them has different value set, but you all gotta speak the same language and agree to a value set within the structure of that classroom that creates the norms of acceptability.
1: Accomplishing this unification of values sounds daunting. However, educators have observed that the vast amount of information and number of tools LEAPS offers are actually integrated into an elegant solution that is quite easy to understand and implement. In fact, it puts just what you need right at your fingertips. How? It starts with assessment. We know that you can't address or improve what you can't measure. So LEAPS provides individual and group assessment tools. First, their Classroom Challenges whole class or small group observational assessment tool uses three questions to score nine different SEL focused topics. The results of that assessment then generate the lesson plans in priority order that would most benefit your students based on their scores. LEAP's individual assessment is intended for use with students at an intermediate level of maturity, so typically that's grades 3 through 6 or 7. It measures 89 specific psychosocial skills in 10 different categories, where a student is scored on a 5-point Likert scale. Students can self-assess or the assessment can be completed with a teacher or other adult. The results offer a detailed picture of a student's strengths and weaknesses that can function as a behavior intervention plan.
0: Just some simple questions that helps the teacher think across the classroom as a group. And if they see a deficit well, what's happening, whether it's individual students or the classroom as a whole creating the deficit, you got to address it. Even if it's two of 20 kids causing the deficit till you address it, the other 18 aren't going to learn at optimal value. And so classroom challenges is a, a, for lack of a better term, a triage type assessment, if you will, that allows you to think about your class as a holistic group and say, here's how it's affecting me, affecting my ability to teach. And, And once again, that might just be a couple of the kids in the classroom, but if it's affecting the whole group, it's affecting your ability to teach the group. You got to address it.
1: And so when you partner with schools, you actually start with some kind of an assessment, like a benchmark, right? To figure out next steps. So it's not just a cookie cutter, one size fits all with, with the way that you partner with schools. It's pretty individualized. Am I right about that?
0: It's highly individualized. And because the needs of a school in, You know, rural Kentucky is going to be very different than the needs of a school in inner city Miami. One of the joyous things of this wonderful country is it's a true melting pot, but that means there are a ton of different cultures and values and learning capacities, socioeconomics, all these things that play into that experiential knowledge base that we have to find the normative spot to begin. And sometimes it's basic. Can I give you a quick example? Please you may have a little 13 year old girl that is doing horribly in a class defiant to the teacher and everyone else. And that's because the kids are constantly picking on her. So her defense is up a mile high and she's not listening to anyone. What she's being made fun of is that she comes to school every day, wearing the clothes she had on yesterday and smelling bad. And you can do all of the Teaching to have friends and interactive reception training you want to do until you teach that kid to have better hygiene, nothing else is going to matter. And this is a true story. From Lake County, Florida, a teacher sent us the story of a young girl that was getting just pummeled in class, didn't want to participate. They thought they had all these big mental health needs. And come to find out she didn't understand the difference between a 10-year-old body and a 13-year-old body. And that's within the normal scope of maturity. The teacher, using the Leafs lessons, taught her, pulled her aside. This is how you take a shower. Walk her through the steps. After you take a shower, you really need to use deodorant. Give this a try. And brush your teeth. Comb
1: your hair. While visiting with my daughter about the content of this episode, she pointed out to me that this story has an eerie similarity to the plot of Carrie by Stephen King, minus the abusive parent and Carrie's telekinesis. But it got me thinking... What if one of Carrie's teachers had just noticed what was going on with her and addressed it before it snowballed? I mean, I'm not trying to be flip. Stephen King's writing is brilliant because it resonates with reality and then twists it. Luckily, Jay's story has a much happier ending. But we don't know what the alternative might have been for this student without intervention.
0: The little girl started coming clean. Then all of a sudden the other kids were making fun of her for that. Before you know it, the kid has actually got some friends in the classroom participating and doing quite well. By the end of the year, that intervening time, the teacher had invested, had returned the investment of not only on that student, but on the kids around her That were uncomfortable in the classroom around her, making fun of her for it, and the classroom was better. The social construct of the entirety of the group was better because they took the time to intervene on that one kid. So that's an example of Occam's razor is a great theory for learning. We've got to get back to what is the most common, relevant, necessary point and start there.
1: Occam's razor, for those of us not freshly brushed up on our philosophical principles, is an idea attributed to William Occam, O-C-C-A-M, that asserts that if there is more than one explanation for something, the explanation that requires the fewest assumptions is usually correct. The more assumptions, the less likely your conclusion is correct. I don't know where the razor part came from, but if you happen to hold that bit of knowledge, please drop it in the comments for the edification of all. So there were lessons within LEAPS available to that teacher around those hygiene issues, and those took place in a one-on-one with that student.
0: But yes, yes and no. It was, yes, that one individual student needed a higher level, but every one of those 13-year-olds needed to A brush up on, hey, let's talk about hygiene and the responsibility we have to each other as a whole. And it could be as simple as when you go to the restroom, wash your hands. Why do you do that? Well, let's talk about why spending a few minutes doing things like that. One, it makes the little girl and one or two others that have the higher level of need feel a little more normal because everyone's hearing that this is a stage of life we all need to address.
1: I'd love to hear you say a little bit more, Jay, about. Um, the different versions and the different kinds of resources that that teachers have through LEAPS, because, as you know, there is so much out there right now for social-emotional learning. Some of it's great. Some of it's, you know, not as good. And LEAPS goes a little bit beyond that because you have social-emotional learning, but you also teach um, you also have resources for classroom management and behavior management and mental health.
0: Sure. Yeah, you know, I think a, a great example is, you know, back 18 years ago, there was a big push for character education. Well, that that's wonderful. Actually, if we would have done that, it could have cured an awful lot of ills, but All of a sudden, we had in the cafeteria a picture of an eagle soaring over a mountain with majestic terms, and the kids that walked under it were going to become better characters by osmosis. That was our character ed programming posters. That's not going to work. What a teacher needs in order to impact the classroom is the ability to, as we said, assess the classroom. Where are my high-level needs that are manifesting itself in the group as a whole? Therefore, that's where I'm going to spend that very valuable time I have outside of core instruction on the things that matter the most to the group as a whole. Then in the areas where I have issues on the group as a whole, well, who are the kids that are manifesting that are really creating problems in there? Therefore, I can go in and assess those kids individually, not all 24 kids in the group, but the three, that 15% that's causing the trouble. I can go in and individually assess them. That way I can tie into them when I do that tier three one-on-one. Or maybe I need supplemental working with a school counselor. So what the teacher has is the ability to look at the classroom, then look at the individuals within the classroom, have a profile of the classroom and the individuals, have a pre and post participation capacity for assessment, be able to demonstrate progress by having pre and post assessments, and then fill all the need areas that are identified with a lesson plan whether it's an individual or group that says, here's how you teach the specific skill, not some conceptualized theory, a specific skill of how you deal with the problem that is manifesting itself. When when a deficit area is shown, it's going to pull up a series of lesson plans and say, here are the lesson plans most applicable to your group based upon what you have assessed, what you've seen. Because that's what you're asking. You're asking the teacher, what are you seeing? And, And then give them the lesson plans to teach
1: Jay and I reminisced about our own high school experience when current best practice seemed to be to refrain from investing in smokers, druggies, and troublemakers in order to devote all resources and energy into kids who showed potential. I was actually taught this in my teacher training. We've since realized that we're going to invest in those kids, those troublemakers, one way or another, either now or later when they're in the mental health or justice system. LEAPS helps us to invest in them now so they don't end up in those pipelines.
0: Look, we've got to speak honestly and and say a teacher's on an island and the island, how big the island is, is how much the administrator's willing to back that teacher. One of the things you hear very consistently from teachers is they often feel the island is really isolated. Social context issues can really create problems and in fact, people shy away from them because Even though it's not a litigious issue, it is a socially litigious issue. We can really jump off the deep end, especially when you take teachers who have very different life experiences than kids. When I went to school, our behavior management, classroom management was Coach Velasquez and his paddle. He would pull you up to the front of the class and beat the snot out of you. And then when you got home, Daddy whipped you once again, and did not care the reason why you got whipped. You got whipped at school. You got whipped at home. That's just the way it was. And, and that was our classroom management. That you still have teachers that grew up in that time. That is that is grew the grew way. Up at
1: that time, we used yeah. to a song about the principal's paddle, right? we, and we, we, we actually up. had
0: a Christmas program every year at Big Spring High School where the principal got a new paddle. And every class that was leaving would try to give them a more painful paddle of the one they had had, and so my class gave them one with holes drilled into it. So we thought aerodynamic; he yeah. could swing it harder. Mm-hmm. That that was, was awesome. that was not only part that was a big part of the Christmas program was the president opening up or the principal opening up his new paddle. Well, think about that today. That it would end up on sixty minutes. Oh my gosh! It, yes, so much. And so think of the teacher who's on the island. We talked about the little girl that's smelly. You know how many male teachers will be scared to death to approach a 13-year-old girl and tell them they smell bad? And, And so what we've got to do for our teachers, give them the material that says, this is how you approach social and emotional issues. Because we have a generation of students and a generation of parents, quite honestly, that view socialization and emotionalization as highly introspective issues that when approached wrong become victimization issues. So give the teachers the material to address these in a way that has a formula for addressment, a stated incoming goal, a stated outgoing goal, and then the process of getting through it. Don't take for granted that the PE teacher And this is not to disparage. This is just where the training is that the PE teacher who is a, you know, 48 year old male is going to understand how to walk a 13 year old girl through the hygienic processes of being more hygienically appropriate. Don't, don't put that burden on them. It's not fair, but you could take that teacher and say, here's a lesson on how to teach that. Right. Because it is a need and teach it in a way that is going to be constructive and then even if you have a parent that says, how dare here's how we taught, here's why, okay. based on this need, because at some point you have to be able to turn back to the parents and say, if we have a deficit that's keeping this kid from learning, keeping other, we are going to address it. And this is the process. Yeah. And that, that's the shield you give the teachers by doing this.
1: Well, and by virtue of it being an administrative and school-wide adopted curriculum and program and that you were sticking to, in some ways the teacher is, is covered
0: we expect our teachers to be teacher, counselor, priest, uh, best friend, authoritarian. They cover all these modeled roles. We don't teach them how to do all that stuff. Teachers, even though they get basic classroom management training, the reason you see in every survey teacher saying we're not equipped to deal with mental health, that's got to be someone else. Teachers, you deal with mental health every single day. Mental health is not mental illness. You you should not be dealing with mental illness. There are specialty, but mental health, that is absolutely part of a teacher's job because you're maturing your kids. We just got to make sure we give them the resources to do it.
1: And those resources need to be adaptable to the changing value system we're living in. Jay gave the example of the level of scandal that erupted around a student bringing pornography to school in the 80s versus every student's ready access to pornography now through their smartphone. Social values are shifting.
0: And yet with the malleability of values, we still have to teach a right and a wrong because the wrong puts you outside the bounds of social acceptability and whether we want to admit to wrong being out there or not, people aren't going to hire you if there are enough wrongs in place. And we're supposed to get these kids to the point of being contributing citizens, give them a quality of life. We're not doing any favors by teaching the malleability of right and wrong. As liberal as we want to call ourselves as a society, you're not going to accept someone sitting next to you that smells bad, talks loud, you know, chews with their mouth open, with food falling out, you're gonna get up and move you can be the most liberal person live and let live but if it's gross you're going to get up and move that is human nature we still need to teach right and wrong and not let the rapidity of information override our necessity of teaching critical thinking critical thinking starts with social acceptability which is sel which then supports mental health maturation which then is the base for classroom management you can't separate them they're the same
1: yeah Okay. So I'm wondering, coming back into our classrooms next fall, we're worried about learning loss, but there's also this, they've also um, lost some socialization, right? We kind of all have during COVID. Um, What challenges do you foresee that teachers are going to be facing?
0: We, We talked about the schools moving forward on a developmental cycle that is very linear, you know, year to year, progression, grade to grade. We've skipped a grade and a half with COVID. Kids have sat at home for a year and a half. They don't learn those social maturation skills in a non-social environment. And the home is not social. Our kids learn socialization in a socialized environment, which is the classroom. We've got a year and a half of learning we've lost. So what's going to happen when a kid comes back to the ninth grade and they left partway through the seventh grade? Last time the kid sat in a classroom, they were a seventh grader. Now they're in high school. What is going to happen to that kid if you don't take the time to teach them how to be a freshman? And being a freshman has nothing to do with the mathematic or English capacity or history capacity. It has to do with the expectations of the teachers on the freshman. I have not seen school systems putting out hey, rather than having three tardies equal in absence, we're going to go with five because kids forgot how to get there on time. I haven't seen any of that. I have not seen an adjustment
1: on expectations. So your caution would be that if we're, our concern over learning loss, not take precedence over getting these kids re-socialized and giving them a soft place to land.
0: I'm saying if you don't take the time to teach these kids to re-socialize, learning loss is going to be the least of your problems because learning loss will amplify in socialized situations. And, and here's what I mean. Kids actually change to where events occur. That's yeah. that experiential knowledge base. And if the classroom is hostile towards learning, the learning loss you experienced the last year will be nothing compared to what you have in the classroom when it projects forward and now is amplified by all the social maladaptivities uh, that are being applied in the classroom. If you don't deal with those, good luck on conjugating that verb. Not going to happen. And not only that, but next year it'll just carry forward.
1: So let me ask you this then, because in your materials, you talk about efficacy studies and how your studies have consistently shown that using LEAPS improves attendance rates It reduces the frequency and severity of undesirable behaviors, improves academic performance. Those are all the things that we have always needed, but we're especially going to need moving into next year. How does LEAPS do that?
0: How do you do all that stuff? Teach them. And so if you teach that stuff, go back to when we talked about the at-risk school that worked with adjudicated kids, the ones everyone had thrown their hands up and said, we give up. That's why they gave them to a mental health company to teach. We did not teach those kids by going in and doing some high-level mental health intervention, mental illness intervention. We went in and said, listen, you got to be here. So let's talk about a classroom and the kids in the classroom and how you're going to get along with the people next to you. So let's talk about expressive receptive communication and then group respect. Let's start there. We didn't take for granted that there was any common sense occurring. We taught common sense. Mm -hmm. up front well then all of a sudden when this kid who was you know constantly defiant because they had no friends whatsoever made a friend now i've got a hook in the classroom we're not going to hook that kid into the classroom with math we can hook them into the classroom with a friend and now i've got an investment in the classroom in that friend well i don't want my friend to fail either so what is the obligation we have to each other so we teach that group we started with that individual now we move to the group now then i'm there I actually pay attention a little more self-concept is a learned experience through success and then have that self-concept occur in a classroom and then tie an academic lesson over to it and then have an achievement occur. And all of a sudden fail, 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 pass. The Mm -hmm. kids that will brag the most about making a B on a test are the ones that have failed the five tests before, not Mm -hmm. the kid that made A's before. That kid's actually going to try next time. So how did we create success in the classroom? By realizing the most important lessons in the classroom weren't reading, writing, and arithmetic for that class of kids. What investment do I need to make so that I can teach reading, writing, and arithmetic effectively?
1: You know, it's interesting to hear you saying that because I can't tell you how many times on this podcast I'll be talking to an educator and I'll ask them for their favorite success story or their top tip or what they've learned this past year. And it almost always, I'd say 100%, it comes back to relationship with the students and creating that learning community. And Rare
0: rare is the child that intellectualizes academics on their own and cares. Successes are not the kid walking across the stage and getting a diploma. It's going out and making something of themselves and having the capacity to continue to do so because we've taught them how to learn. That's educating a kid.
1: I need no more convincing that Leaps for Schools is an amazing resource for any and every teacher to address the 95% of social, emotional, and behavior issues that arise in a classroom. But I'm still wondering about the somewhere around 5% of issues that actually stem from true mental illness. Those kiddos who are suicidal or homicidal, and they're falling through the cracks and sometimes taking a lot of innocent people with them. I can't help but ask about those kids.
0: Back in late 80s, um, you know, 4% of our kids received some sort of special education. Those were kids that had a, a Hard manifesting physical disorders such as cerebral palsy, something really difficult, a very small group of kids playing the percentages, and everyone else was in a quote-unquote, and I'm doing the little air parentheses, uh, normal classroom. Well, what we began to realize is that there's actually quite a few more things occurring And so we then began coming up with reading disorders, writing disorders, math disorders, behavior disorders. And all of a sudden, you know, 38 percent of our kids receive some sort of exceptionality service within education, which is what we used to call special ed. Well, we didn't grow from 4 percent to 38 percent in need. What we grew was in recognition, but also in funding. It was a funding mechanism. But a recognition that there are kids and probably you know upwards of 40% of them that have some level of exceptionality need that is impeding them from learning on the academic side. That's where we are on behaviors now. Is it's the recognition that there are things beyond academics that are occurring within the classroom that need to be addressed in order to have the true achievement of the classroom. And so when you say, how do we create a system where kids don't fall through the cracks, there is not a panacea. What there is though is the ability to focus on what is truly at need and address against what is truly at need and differentiating academic need from socialized and emotional maturity need. Which one is the higher priority? And will you capture those kids? If you can capture their heart, do you negate the thing that was missing that caused them to slip through the cracks? Teachers, you will never have every answer. Won't. and, and if you try, you're going to burn yourself out. But what you can do is realize what's truly important. You need the preface. You need the groundwork. Then you get in there. Then that return on the investment when you teach academics will pay off. The thing I would like people to know about LEAPS is where it comes from and what the intent is. In high school, I never took a math class. The reason why is my freshman year, I was really good at football. My freshman year... The math teacher, Miss Jones, really disliked me. And so as a 14-year-old, I really disliked her right back. So coach worked it out where I didn't take math. Still graduated. I got into college because I was on a football scholarship. So my junior year in, in college, I was actually taking entry-level math. And I stayed because I was really good at football. Well, my sophomore year, I broke my leg and had a bunch of knee surgeries. Well, when I tore my leg up, and I was dating this beautiful young lady named Sylvia. She said, listen, that leg's going to prevent you from moving any further. And, and so she was right. Nine knee surgeries. She taught me how to study. I didn't know how, didn't have yes, to, yes. I was past, in, in the eighties in West Texas, I was past cause I was really good at football. She taught me how to study. I went on and got my masters, my doctorate. I did all of that. I'm not dumb, but I was the perfect example of the kids slipping through the cracks. If a couple of things hadn't been in place, if I hadn't been good in athletics, I would have slipped through that crack. If I hadn't have gotten into school because of athletics, if I hadn't have been with Sylvia, I would have slipped through the cracks. Mm -hmm. When I was in the hospital having those knee surgeries, Mrs. Towell, the remedial math instructor that ACU had that taught people like me who weren't prepared for college math, came to the hospital and did math lessons with me and caught me up. Mrs. Towel is the reason I graduated. And so you never know the kid and what you do that makes it. It's not catching every kid that slips through the cracks. It's filling the cracks in so they don't slip. You want kids not to slip through the cracks? Look for the cracks. LEAPS is there because we have people who have ability. We have people who, if we spend a little time teaching common sense and how to be a constructive person, can become one. Mental health work, 99% is teaching common sense because at the end of the day, how do we label someone mentally ill? They don't act the way we expect them to act. Mm-hmm. So how do we help them not get to that end, which is way at the back end of failure? Teach them what to do. There will there will be those people who are medically involved. We have the resources for those folks and they will have difficulties, They can, but there will be people there to help them. What about the other kids? There's no one there to help. Teachers, that's you. That's what LEAPS is. Educating a child is not making them academically proficient. It's teaching them how to apply the academics in a way that they contribute as a citizen to the society around them. That's education. We've gotta get back to that. Remember, that's what we're here for.
1: You'll find all of Jay's links and resources in the episode notes. They partner with anyone from individual schools to entire districts, and they have helpful free resources on their website. You can find Leaps for Schools at EdCuration.com, where you'll also find this and all of our podcast episodes, along with our blog, our Exploration's free bite-sized professional learning courses, and applications for our Certified Ed Trustee Program that allows you to pilot cutting edge instructional resources and influence the market with your participation and feedback. If you like this episode, let us know. And if there's a topic or resource you'd like to hear featured, let us know that too. We're here for you because educators deserve all the support we can give. So we hope you'll join us again next week to reshape learning on the Ed Curation Podcast.